all haunted by something, but Dr. Stephanie Hawkins has been fascinated by ghosts for as long as she can remember. Hawkins, who is an associate professor in UNT's Department of English, is an expert in late 19th and early 20th century American literature, and has also studied ghosts and hauntings. This spring, she is once again teaching a class called Undead, Ghosts, Vampires, and Zombies in American Literature. So what exactly kicked off her infatuation with ghost stories? Well, I can answer that in a couple ways. I grew up in a house that I swear must have been haunted. And um, it was an old house. It has a history of being not old in like a nice sense, not like Victorian or anything fancy, but it was in Carson City, Nevada. And the, I found out from a kind of a neighbor historian that our house was built on top of a, an acid factory. Um, and so of course, as a very imaginative child, um, we also had a basement. Um, and we had a refrigerator down there that was falling apart and making these strange sounds. So it would, you know, kind of cry out and moan. Uh, and the people who had lived there before had kids. And so you'd see kind of remnants of children having lived in that house before, little, little footprints in the cement um, that had been left before. Um, and the house also creaked a lot. And even my own grandmother who would come and babysit on occasion would say she hated being in my house at night because it sounded like somebody was marching up and down the hallway. So it was just the, the unique kind of noise of the house, the age of the house. Um, and then when I was in grad school and writing my dissertation, I came across um, a fascinating sort of episode in American uh, literary history where uh, a lot of the the writers that I was interested in were spiritualists. And um, when I went to school up in Buffalo, New York, I found out that, that had a really strong history of being part of what's called the burned over district, the area during uh, the, the late 19th, mid and late 19th century, where there were a lot of revivals. And then there's, of course, a spiritualist community that's still alive today and thriving called Lilydale. Every summer they have uh, you know, they host a big sort of um, mediumship uh, extravaganza. So people come from all over to, to, to talk to a medium. So there's that whole history there that I think conspired uh, to kind of give me that interest and curiosity about the, the cultural history of the ghost in that particular part of the United States. Whether it's ghosts, vampires, zombies, or flesh and blood humans, the things we love most are always a little scary. Which, let's face it, is also what makes it so much fun. Even 19th century scientists found themselves enthralled by metaphysical possibilities. There was, there was actually a society for, for the, it's called the Society for Psychical Research, founded in the 1880s in England. And in the little, a few years later in the United States, at the American Society for Psychical Research and the British Society for Psychical Research. And if you were to Google that, they're still around and they're still doing their work. They're still collecting um, anecdotes about people who have seen ghosts, you know, and, and they would collect all of these stories. And then of course they would go out ghost hunting and try to, you know, figure out whether it was a real ghost and how do you account for these? They were, they were basically, the modern ghost detectives um, trying to figure out whether this old house was really haunted or whether there was some kind of like seismic, seismic activity or some draft or some kind of weird 
you know, architectural flaw that was creating the slamming doors and the sounds and things like that. And then they would try to find these fraudulent mediums. Um, and I think people would be surprised to know that some of the sci best scientists of the day were members of the Society for Psychical Research. Um, Pierre and Marie, Marie Curie, who discovered uh, radium and got the Nobel Prize together jointly in 1903, they were members of the Society for Psychical Research. So some of the things that science was discovering, um, the x-ray in 1896, those sorts of new discoveries kind of gave more, uh, generated a lot more interest in the idea of the invisible as a space of uh, possibility. Um, and that maybe there was more um, that science could discover about these invisible realms. And though science has largely shied away from the supernatural in the centuries since, the public certainly has not. On this episode of UNT Pod, join me, Erin Cristalis, as I talk with Dr. Hawkins about readers' infatuation with ghost stories, some of the most engrossing works involving the undead, and how her students deal with all of that pesky ambiguity inherent in some of literature's most popular supernatural tales. No No matter which way you stay, you're out of my mind, out of my mind, out of my mind, out of my mind. I was walking with the ghost. I said, please, please don't insist. I was walking with the ghost. I said, please, please don't insist. No Some might say that love is scary, which is supported by the idea that pretty much any work of art involving love seems to have some subconscious element of fear to it, whether that's fear of commitment or fear of ruining a relationship or fear of rejection. Do you think there's some level of catharsis involved in turning away from the more traditional romantic narratives and exploring the more tangible fears involved in stories about the undead? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that when I, the course I'm teaching right now about the undead, most of these ghosts have a kind of romantic um, component. A lot of the motives for haunting come from unrequited love, um, as in the case of Henry James's story, um, Sir Edmund Orme, where, you know, this woman has rejected uh, the suitor uh, who she initially said she would marry. And then she sees someone in her words, she liked better uh, and decided not to marry him. And of course he haunts her now after her husband passed away, he's, he appears whenever her daughter, who's now the age of marriage, he appears whenever there's a potential suitor. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's definitely a kind of um, way in which our, our ghosts of, of lost love's past um, can come back uh, in these vengeful forms and um, warning us not to um, you know, do something we might regret later. <laughs> so you just mentioned the class that you teach about the undead in American literature. Can you tell me a little bit about what students can expect to read and discuss in the class? Well, um, I start out with the, the kind of a traditional approach, which is just to begin with some of the, the early ghost stories in the 19th century, beginning with Henry James, who is 
has an entire collection of ghost stories. And that's when he first starts writing. And um, they're fun because they have traditional haunted houses and they they kind of have things that are very familiar to the, the, the whole kind of ghost story genre. Um, of course, the one about the you know, rival lovers and people who don't get to marry the people that they really want to. And then, you know, people who re avenge themselves later when, you know, they, they, they kind of lay a trap in advance to like haunt somebody. Um, and so we begin with some of those more traditional stories to kind of flesh out um, the deeper uh, psychological issues uh, pertaining to ghosts. You know, the, um, the idea that that ghosts give us access to a privileged kind of vision, uh, alternative forms of knowledge that are not, um, you know, at the time in 19th century, the rise of scientific positivism held that the only things that are real are the things that can be seen uh, or experienced with the five senses. And, um, you know, this is of course post-Darwin. So we have a, a real kind of tension being worked out in the ghost story about what kinds of knowledge count what kinds of experience um, can be perceived as real or authentic, um, verifiable. And so Henry James, whose brother was the American psychologist, William James, who wrote the, the essay, the famous essay called The Will to Believe, talked about how every person is sort of hardwired to believe in something bigger than themselves. And he advocated for, you know, believing even when there's no certainty about the afterlife, to still believe in something and have faith in something um, beyond the five senses. So, you know, I start them out with that cultural context, you know, for, for why the 19th century is such a, a fertile place for the ghost story. Why is it that everybody suddenly was so interested in preserving the space for the spiritual, for the irrational, for things that can't be verified with the senses, right? Um, so then we move on uh, to more contemporary stuff. So we're reading um, Toni Morrison's Beloved, which for them is much more um, readable than James because he writes in such a way that's kind of very complicated, long sentences, very subtle psychological stuff that maybe a 19 or 20 year old is not quite as <laughs> wired to read like we are, you know? Um, so we're reading that um, famous uh, Pulitzer Prize winning novel uh, by Toni Morrison, which a historical person, uh, Margaret Garner, um, and a, a, you know, escaping slavery is caught. And um, rather than see her children um, return to slavery, she, she tries to kill them and she succeeds in killing her youngest um, a little girl. And so Morrison describes how, although the historical person was too limiting for a novelist to write about, she really wanted to dig into the psychology of that and to create an experience. She says, I wanted to kidnap the reader and make them experience what it would be like um, to, to live at this time and to kind of put us in the mindset of the mother. You know, how do you forgive the unforgivable? How do you deal with trauma? So then we start talking about ghosts as metaphors for the unresolved um, elements of the, the historical past, um, the kinds of deep wounds that historians don't talk about, but that novelists have the license to talk about because they're talking about, because they can talk about ghosts, because they have that freedom to talk about things that are invisible. Um, 
to the senses. Well, you mentioned too that a lot of these stories obviously are very psychological. And I feel like a lot of times too, they have a lot of ambiguity. And I'm wondering for your students, what's their reaction to that? Because it seems like people can go kind of either way when it comes to something be feeling maybe a little bit unresolved or unclear. Yeah, I think that's part of the allure of reading ghost stories, especially the ones written in the 19th century, because there's this, you know, effort to kind of be both both scientific and uh, supernatural. And there's actually a term called the fantastic, uh, which was coined in the 1970s to describe this sense of being in this perfect sort of suspension between a supernatural event being really supernatural or accountable by some sort of naturalistic explanation. And so to kind of go back to my students and ambiguity, um, they they love and hate ambiguity because <laughs> and I, I said to them with about Beloved, what if this isn't really a ghost? What if there's a way for us to explain the arrival of this, you know, this person who calls herself Beloved by saying that she's an escaped slave, uh, that she's possibly from Haiti, because her there are lots of little clues that suggest that maybe this person is a real person and not a, a ghost. Oh, they flipped out. They said, no. <laughs> One of my students said, I would feel so cheated. <laughs> I would feel so cheated because then it's not, I've invested all this emotional energy into this ghost. And then I'm cheated at the end to discover that it's it's not a real ghost. So I think there's a feeling of, um, you know, wanting that, um, the reward of the real ghost in the fiction. To have, again, fiction as a refuge for um, the magical, the, um, the enchanting, uh, the, the kinds of things that our day-to-day -day ordinary lives sort of you know, in our day-to-day -day ordinary experience, um, don't give us access to. So, uh, you know, ambiguity can be really rewarding, but it can also be maddening. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting too, because you, you've mentioned Henry James a few times and, you know, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, he's kind of most well-known for these social and marital narratives involving Europeans and Americans. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it, it feels like sometimes too that stories involving ghosts or vampires or the undead in some way aren't taken as seriously maybe as other genres. But here's this author who's so well-regarded and wrote one of the most famous you know, ghost stories of all time. I, I'm wondering if that's a discussion you have with your students in terms of the importance of, of the genre, you know, as a, as a serious genre in a lot of ways. I, you know, I think for them, they grew up with the Twilight series. They grew up with, um, you know, right now, uh, for instance, on Netflix, uh, they've turned Turn of the Screw into a, um, the Haunting of Bly Manor, which I have not seen. My students have told me about it. And there's also the the re uh, the reboot of um, famous Shirley Jackson novel called The Haunting of Hill House as a series on Netflix. So we don't, it's funny because they were popular in the 19th century. Think of Charles Dickens. He's the most famous for, you know, uh, creating the, you know, ghost of Christmas past and kind of these warning ghosts that teach you know, Ebenezer Scrooge to be 
kinder and more generous. So I think the ghost story genre is definitely one um, in part, not just because of James, because of Morrison and because of um, more contemporary writers. I don't think it's ever not going to be considered taken seriously. Um, you know, I think about um, vampires. I think they fall more into the line of like pulp, right? There's something about the vampire that has a kind of camp appeal where I think because it has that sort of, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and of course the Anne Rice novels and the interview with a vampire film that um, the vampire functions in a very different way from the ghost. I was thinking about this earlier because we're going to be talking about um, Jewel Gomez's uh, The Gilda Stories, which came out in the 1980s. And it's, I jokingly refer to it as vampire lesbian fiction because the vampire allows for things, um, and the ghost story does too, but I think the vampire makes more explicit some of the ways in which homoerotic desire uh, can be expressed or even um, alternative lines of kinship in this particular novel. Um, being of the blood is a way of being part of a bigger extended family that has nothing to do with genealogy, but has to do with a kind of spiritual kinship or a kind of like-mindedness that transcends racial boundaries, gender boundaries, and, and creates a kind of utopian possibility um, to talk about alternatives for, alternative forms of um, communities of feeling or, or affiliation that's not tribalistic or nationalistic. Um, but, and zombies too, they're the, the classic pulp genre. Um, but the thing I'm teaching is uh, anthropological. It comes from uh, famous black anthropologist, Zora Neale Hurston, who uh, collected folklore um, in, in her home uh, state of Florida and then traveled to uh, Haiti and um, actually trained to become uh, a Bokur, a, a Haitian uh, voodoo practitioner and was sworn to secrecy, not to reveal the secrets. And she claims to have seen what she calls a real zombie. <laughs> um, Flix Mentor is her last name. And she has a photograph of her. And this of course riles the, the, the anthropologist because Hurston bends the boundary between acceptable uh, academic science uh, and um, the credulity of a believer of an insider in the culture. Um, so we're gonna be reading some of her writing uh, to kind of trouble that relationship between fiction and, and, um, and truth. You know, what kind of truth does fiction tell us or what kind of, um, what can a lie tell us about reality or truth? Well, I know you mentioned too that, you know, in your class that typically you start with works of the 19th century. I'm wondering though, if you could talk about maybe when and where some of the first recorded ghost stories first appear. This is going way outside my expertise, but I can tell you that when I do teach my class, I talk about a few things that have to do with very familiar ghost stories. You know, if you're, if you're a, um, if you identify as Christian or Jewish, um, you know, Lazarus might be the person you think of as like the first zombie, <laughs> you know, he's rising from the dead um, famously. And of course, um, you know, we're coming up on the, the celebration of Lent and uh, the, the great um, resurrection, right? Of, <laughs> um, the, of Christ from, from the tomb. So we have, of course, deeply embedded in um, the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition, a kind of 
um, you know, deeply held belief. And then there, of course, uh, Tibetan Buddhism has this concept of the tulka uh, and later taken up as the tulpa um, in popular culture as a kind of thought uh, emanation that becomes palpable and physical, um, you know, as more and more people kind of fixate on this idea, it sort of takes on a life of its own. Um, has its own will, has its own being, and sort of a collective entity that's created out of collective belief. Um, then there's, of course, the golem from Ju Judeo, the Judaic tradition, a kind of clay figure that moves and, and does things, but is, is a kind of in between living and dead, um, a kind of figure that becomes a metaphor for, for all kinds of, you know, all kinds of issues. So um, I think wherever humans have been, uh, there have always been ghosts or some kind of concept of something that dwells between the living and the dead and kind of functions as a bridge between those two, the known and the unknown, um, the seen and the unseen. We need some sort of mediating thing to help us make sense of, of what we don't know and, and to give us some humility about how much we know and whether we can really trust what we know. And is that why you think people are, are so infatuated with these narratives? I mean, because we see them everywhere in books and in pop culture. Um, what do you think it is exactly about the undead that just fascinates people so much? I think it's for me, I mean, I'll just speak personally, I think it's a desire for connection, a, a connection with the past, um, a connection to ancestors that have departed before we ever had an opportunity to get to know their story, a desire, just a hunger for story, a hunger for um, making meaning out of chaos, um, of you know, our bodies disintegrating and leaving this earth, and a kind of desire to preserve what was the very vital and real and unique personality of, of those people who were gone. And uh, I think there's that. And there's also this anxiety and kind of titillating fear that is both exciting and scary. It's always part of the attraction to the supernatural, I think. This could be scary, but it's also deeply reassuring. Um, is that you know we, there's something that does survive, whether in the form of history or in the form of story. But then there's also that fear that, well, what if what if the beyond is is no real liberation <laughs> from suffering? What if being trapped? I think there's something horrifying about the restless, hungry spirit that cannot move beyond the realm of the living if it can't fully participate in it. And I think that's the kind of metaphor for maybe what many people are feeling at this time about I'm ready to kind of go to back to normal or I'm ready to move on to the next thing and I can't. I think in some ways it speaks to that when, when we all have those moments in our lives where we're stuck for whatever reason in a situation, in a circumstance, in a, a subject position of marginality, um, that the ghost gives us that something we can identify with. Um, that reflects our fears, reflects our anxieties, and does give us hope at the same time. So it's an, it's an amb talk about ambiguity. It is the embodiment <laughs> of everything that is ambiguous about being human and the human condition.
I'm wondering what you would consider to be some must read ghost stories. And also if you could talk a little bit about your own personal favorite ghost story. It's funny, whenever anybody asks an English professor what their favorite book is, it's like my mind goes blank, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> I was thinking about this and um, I I really love um, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. I would say that's a must read because it is so contemporary and it really holds up over time and also if you were somebody who likes to kind of mentally play the game of, is this real or is this, you know, natural, is this supernatural or natural? That's one that does do a good job of kind of suspending it. Um, and I like the, I like the kind that are sort of like true crime <laughs> versions of the, of the ghost story because they involve some detective work. And, and especially when you have the unreliable narrator, like you get in Edgar Allan Poe, right? So Shirley Jackson has that wonderful narrator who you don't know whether you believe in or not. And Turn of the Screw does the same thing with the governess. Um, so I consider that must read. Um, I really think Beloved is a must read. Um, you know, it's, it's gripping, it's, it's a satisfying ghost story for so many on so many different levels um i consider that just one of the very best of you know our generation really and um as for kind of older ghost stories um you know there some of those short short ghost stories by james they're not read very often now but i think they deserve more attention than they've gotten and they're very readable compared to some of his later you know wings of the dove which i kind of jokingly call the leaden wings of the dove because it's just such a slog to get through <laughs> some of his bigger novels from that he went over back in 1908 you know become even really like cement bricks you know <laughs> but some of his early ghost stories um are just so readable um the romance of certain old clothes, um, which is sort of a fun read because it's about two sisters duking it out for the same guy. And uh, yeah, I won't spoil it or anything, but they the ghost has some fun revenge on the sister. Um, and then, you know, so that some of the ghost story collections, M.R. James, A Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad is a classic. Um, Sheridan Lefano, uh, he writes wonderful, uh, there's a, there's a great book um, called uh, Story, Great Tales of the Supernatural that um, I often teach when it's not focused strictly on American lit. Um, it kind of covers the range of ghost stories from England and um, the US during that time period, 19th century. Um, but, you know, the, every culture has something. Um, every tradition has something. The, the Japanese have wonderful uh, you know, ghost stories. Um, Isabella Allende, The House of Spirits is another wonderful one that um, deserves reading. It's kind of this epic story um, about generational haunting. So there's just too many to recommend. You could really just <laughs> spend your entire life reading it and never finish, um, never, never really find the end of it because there's so much good stuff being written all the time. I'm wondering too what it's what the experience is like for you of of teaching some of these stories because obviously you know a big a big part of ghost stories is a surprise and figuring out what's going on 
And clearly, you know, it's going to happen, but you get to see your students experience that and, and be surprised by these narratives. So what is it like for you to kind of get to maybe relive that process of reading a novel for the first time I, through your students? There's nothing like experiencing it through the eyes of students because it's almost like they give me the great joy and pleasure of experiencing something for the first time because they don't know how it ends. I get to watch uh, one of my favorite things, which is cognitive dissonance. <laughs> this sort of, I can't believe that she's acting this way, <laughs> or they get personally involved. Um, and I love that because that really takes takes it down to what 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 we all I think value about reading fiction and reading literature is that it it puts us in a completely different. Um, we get to occupy someone else's brain and someone else's body. And we start thinking about, well, what choices would we do? What choices would we make differently? Or we begin to ask questions like, I wouldn't, you know, I would never do that. <laughs> Why is this person doing that? <laughs> the, just the, the reaction of sort of um, sheer disbelief. You know, I can't believe this person is acting this way. She's 18. She's acting like she's 12. You know. <laughs> as though, you know, that never happens. <laughs> you know, the judgments, you know, the un, they don't hold back. It really is visceral. Um, the response people have, I think, to this, this, you know, genre of the undead. And, and I think it's because it doesn't, we're not told we have to, we have to treat it like Shakespeare, you know, we have to revere it in this kind of careful way. Um, we can kind of, uh, engage it at the level of folklore, stories that we would sit around the campfire telling to each other. And so there's no need to hold back. There's no need to treat it like it's somehow um, high art that we have to um, learn how to appreciate or consume in the right ways, right? Um, there's no specialized language or discourse that we need to help us understand it. Um, you know, and that's not to say that Shakespeare, uh, you know, yes, he was that for his time period. And he has all these wonderful ghosts too. So some of the best literature about ghosts might be Hamlet or Macbeth. Um, but I think because it's American literature, I think my students are reacting like, this is mine. <laughs> I own this and I can say whatever I want about it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to UNT Pod. If you'd like to learn more about any of the novels Dr. Hawkins mentioned in the episode, please see the links in our show notes. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at UNT Social and on Instagram at UNT. Until next time, be safe. <laughs>